but that time's yours. We have an absolute ton to talk about in this very edition of Time's Ours, a Kansas City Chiefs podcast here on The Athletic. And yet, and I know I'm not alone, I cannot shake the, the, the terrifying feeling that as people are actually hearing these opening notes of the show, that somewhere the whole world is like 30 seconds away from Odell Beckham Jr. news that we're just not going to be able to do anything about because this will have already all happened in the past. Welcome to this edition of the show, the beginning of a free agency recap, perhaps. The Chiefs have made moves. Guys have come to the Chiefs. Guys have left. The wide receiver depth chart is still looking kind of suspiciously thin, which leaves me feeling very, very unsettled. I'm Joshua Briscoe with Nate Taylor and Seth Kaiser. Nate, what is your uh, your confidence on a scale of 1 to 10 that we will get to the end of this episode without the Chiefs signing a wide receiver we've heard of? Um, It's 10... Is Tim the good part, or is it the <laughs> the levels of of uh, what kind of explanation was that, Josh? Is 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 it? Did, a, I, did I make that too confusing? No, <laughs> I'm just worried. I just wanted to double check if if ten is the height of anxiety. Um, I guess I'm a six right now. I, I will acknowledge that it is, and I said this to you guys earlier, and I don't want to conjure up anything, but it is been way too quiet today so quiet so quiet um we're recording this on monday of our lord's 2023 late monday afternoon to early evening about 5 p.m right now just so you know when when they trade for deandre hopkins at 6 30 you're gonna know we tried because the team's on the west coast so it just i don't know it's been it's been really quiet so I'm, uh, I'm about a six. I'm about a six, Josh. So Seth, on an x-axis of one to zero and a y-axis of one to zero and a z-axis of one to zero, what would your exact dot point be in the level of concern you have that the Chiefs may or may not make a move that does or does not impact our ability to do this podcast on a regular basis? And then if you could go ahead and put that in a decimal as well as a percentage, that'd be really helpful. You know... As you were as you were talking, I'm glad you you made it longer because had you just done the axis stuff, my inner monologue was like, ah! After ten years, people are going to learn you don't understand charts. <laughs> it was, was going to be rough. It's like I'm helpless without upper right. It's like okay, upper right is good. Patrick Mahomes has taught me that much. Upper right is always good, um, unless it's not. Every now and then, some monster will have like a chart where I don't know. Can't anyway. trust those people. <laughs> Upper right is where my homes goes. Period. So, um, no, that that really like that. You want to talk about a weakness um, of the few that I have? Um, I mean, minuscule. The I mean, the almost not even worth mentioning. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. We even spent this long on it. I can't believe that the Chiefs' plan is MVS, who I like. I'm glad he's on the team. But MVS, Tony Moore as their top three. Oh, man, you just said it and it freaked me out. That can't, that can't possibly be the plan, right? And then people, well, there's the draft. Absolutely true, there's the draft. Can you tell me the last time the Chiefs under Andy Reid drafted a wide receiver and he became wide receiver one? Or two, I, or two, really. Yeah, or two. Oh gosh. Oh man, you just now, now I'm panicking. Like because really, that just doesn't happen. 
And, and there are some really talented receivers in this draft who I think would be great fits for the offense. But I think Sky Moore is a really talented receiver who's a great fit for the offense. And I, I love how quickly people moved on. To, nope, that dude's a bum. It's like, look, he'll probably have a, a nice bump next year. I've gone back. I've watched a little film recently to help me relax. When they treated Sky more like an actual wide receiver, you know what he does? He creates a little separation. He moves pretty well. So I could see him taking a jump forward next year and maybe even filling out that, that Juju Smith-Schuster type role. And I, I could see it. But I like to jump from what he did last year to wide receiver one feels like a lot. And same with Tony, who showed some great stuff, but also... Just the health stuff worries me. But that can't be the plan. Like, it, right? Like, so, I, I don't know. That's where I, I like, but they, they've clearly had a price point that they are not willing to go past for multiple receivers. Like Juju Smith-Schuster, it's not like he signed a, 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 a $16 million a year deal. It ended up being um, a little less than Jacoby Myers. After further review, Jacoby Myers got three for 33 to go to Vegas. Juju, the initial numbers were three for 33 to go uh, to New England. I think it's actually more around like 25-ish, but it's 22 and a half in the first two years, I think. Yeah. Um, we can talk about some of the other places where the Chiefs have lost guys, but but since we are here in that space, I once the uh, Juju signing was reported, I was like, all right, Adam Thielen time. But the Carolina Panthers thought it was more Adam Thielen time than I did because I think we're all on the same page that we all thought that signing would have made sense. And then we saw the signing. I was like, you know what? I guess never mind. Yeah, it's, I, it's I don't know. I don't know if I totally agreed with this with the possibility of the signing because he's 33 who wants a multi-year deal. Yeah, and um, I, I just undervalued the idea that wanting a multi-year deal was going to get you one, and apparently it does sometimes. I just, I for me, I believed it in a a juju twenty twenty two sort of move, but I I did not know that that he was going to get a multi-year deal. Yeah, and, and he he the no the Adam Thielen thing it doesn't it made sense as like a one year signing, right? Like right. a a mercenary signing. But like when you look at so right now I'm looking at the uh, the wide receiver um, contracts, you know, like like Jacoby Myers signed a three year, thirty three million dollar deal that realistically, uh, you know what, let's not do this. Can we just in advance say we're going to say the average per year and you, dear listener, will accept that the real money is at least one year shorter and probably like ah between five to fifteen million dollars less. Let's at least do this. Let let's let's commit to whenever a deal really is what it sounds like. We will make that point. Otherwise, yes. yeah, assume there's some funny money. Not like not like last year's Orlando Brown contract deal, but like you know, yeah, like you said, about a some year less, way. and that last year's probably the highest cap number, and that's not usually yeah. how it works. Maybe, Although, maybe I'll just seen, say the, the have you seen Juan number. Thornhill's deal? Because that's the funniest one of this cycle. No, that's just the Browns. <laughs> the Browns have to win a Super Bowl this year. They are yeah, so totally, screwed. Totally. Totally. Okay, um, no, go ahead. So, I mean, like, I'll just say the guaranteed money. Jacoby Myers, who's a good wide receiver, his guaranteed dollars were $10.5 That's it. Juju's was $16 million. Thielen's was $14, which, again, I, I find funny. I like Adam Thielen. Like, I've been watching him for years. But he's a, he's a possession guy now. And that dr big drop-off could come at any second. Um, Alan Lazard got $22 million. I see why they didn't go for him there. And that's the guaranteed now. But like Darius Slayton, Zach Wilson there in New York, man. Glad they landed him. <laughs> the, but I mean like Darius Slayton, who 
you know, it kind of became a running joke on Chiefs Twitter because so many people were pushing for it. They're like, okay, apparently people think this dude's Randy Moss. It's like, well, no, but he's a competent <laughs> wide receiver. And I mean, he signed for two years, 12 million. And so let me just tell you, the pickings in free agency have gone from slim to close to none at this point. But the Chiefs have still stuck with this price point, which to me says we're not desperate. And I respect that. <laughs> However, <laughs> like I, I respect people saying they're not desperate, but like this reminds me, I'm going to give a little analogy here. Um, if I've got a buddy who is, you know, still single despite looking for many years and he's in his late thirties, early forties, you know, and he's just telling me, well, no, I've got this list. My response is eventually going to be, look, man, I know you keep saying you're not desperate. All the evidence is to the contrary, though. And maybe it's okay to be a little desperate. Like, <laughs> you know, not, not real desperate. Don't cross off things that really matter. But also, we live in, you know, what's the line uh, from the wire? You want it to be one way. But it's the other way. Yep. And, and right now with the Chiefs, I can't help but feel a little bit that they want it to be one way. And I'm over here sitting... Guys, I think it's the other way. Now, maybe I'm wrong because I can see a future where Sky Moore has a has a, a really nice second year. MVS stays exactly who he is, and Kadarius Tony stays healthy for the first time in his career and is close to a legit wide receiver one. And we're all going to feel really stupid. But like, what if they don't? All right. Are you ready for me to ask the question, fellas? I was waiting to ask you the questions. Why don't you ask the question to the rest of us? All right, I can ask this question, and then you can ask me uh, your question, Josh. How long are you willing to wait? How long are you willing to wait for Odo Beckham Jr.? Josh, what's your question? I'm just going to ask you who it's going to be. How, how I, long I trust you, you to know things like that. And my answer is, how long are you willing to wait? Well, Odell is apparently waiting for someone to offer him more than four. Which means 100%, and Josh, you might have even tweeted about this. That means the Chiefs offered him a deal that was loaded with incentives. I don't think I tweeted it, but I saw other people doing it. That tweet to me felt like a text to Brett Veach. Like, it was like, come on, man. Well, and, and here's the thing, though. Like, he also tweeted how he views this stuff, where he's just like, you know, because the, the, the tax man takes half of it, so he views, like, six as three. And while I understand... You, you ever been technically correct, but actually wrong? Never. <laughs> <laughs> the confidence in that in that response. Oh, man, you... I mean, goodness. I mean, are you, are you out there in the corner like that guy from Princeton who could not miss? Who <laughs> uh, just could not. Um, sorry, I had a, I had a colleague, uh, uh, call me. They got Odell news. Be able to pick it up. The Cardinals. Jonathan nope, Gannon. Nope. Oh, fourth okay, round pick. I'll do it. What's going on here? Not wide receiver news. No, nope, no nope, lawyer stuff. Are they, are they still worried about what CJ Gardner Johnson's doing? <laughs> Yeah, people are really worried about that. But okay, I'm sorry. So I was saying technically correct, but 
literally incorrect. Because you can say all you want, like, well, you're you're only because that's what that smells to me like. Well, four million is not enough. That smells to me like someone offered him eight million and he views it as four. And while you're technically correct, they're still paying you eight. Like, you know what I mean? Like when Clark Hunt signs that check, it's not like, you know, the U.S. government says, well, we're taking half of this and giving it directly back to Mr. Hunt. So he does not. Now, we could have a conversation about tax loopholes. <laughs> kind of how that works, but not literally. That's, a, <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. another instance it's, of being kind of correct and literally yeah, probably yeah, not. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, it's a situation where I just think it's just tough with, with the stuff Odell tweets out. I understand that he he feels like he knows his worth and he wants to stand his ground on that. And I think the market's probably been a little softer for him than he was hoping. And and I I get it, but again, the, you know, honestly, and I've never I've never I, to my shame I've actually never watched The Wire in its entirety, but I've watched so many clips that I feel like I know almost everything about it. I feel like this is another situation that whole you want it to be one way. That advice pertains to so much. Well, it wasn't really advice, but and I feel like it's like that with Odell because now the Cowboys are probably out of the picture, which by the way. Totally would have traded that for Brandon Cooks with the Texans eating some of that contract. I think that's the first Brandon Cooks trade I've seen where I've gone, yeah, I probably would have done that. It's funny because there are like 10 of them, but. Yeah. And that, but I mean, that that's where like, like you said, you know, how long is someone willing to wait for Odell Beckham Jr.? It kind of feels, and I know I, you'd think after three years of this, because Veach is really on a heater these last few years. He's been crushing it, but it feels like they're like, ah, we really like Odell. And so let's wait when it's like, you know, are are you sure that's the route to go? And and I don't know, just because he didn't play last year. He didn't, you know what I mean? He's, 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 he's inching towards that. I mean, he's 30, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think so. Mm -hmm. And so he is not the age the chiefs generally offer multi-year contracts. Um, Correct. Turned 31 in November, by the way. And, and that's where it just, it's just such a huge risk in terms of, you know, what you think you might be getting. And I I don't know. The whole thing is just a really tough situation. And right now, like I said, I understand teams don't want to be desperate, but there's a difference between being desperate and being realistic. It's like, am I desperate to make my wife happy? Not desperate. I understand the reality of my situation (laughs) that I could never in a million years, a billion years do better that I somehow managed to marry the love of my life. Who is awesome and really hot. Bingo. Your bingo card. That's the jazz column. Just boom, 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 boom. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of who I am, my strengths and my weaknesses. And through that awareness, I'm willing to take actions that others might perceive to be desperate. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't you forgot to tell us you have a hard out in five minutes. Uh, Yeah. But I mean, this is, I really feel like, I swear this isn't just me going off on a tangent. It's the, my frustration I feel where the chief's like, no, no, we're good. I'm like, oh, but are you, are you really sure? Because I wasn't sure about the wide receiver room last year. And that was with Juju Smith-Schuster, who's a good NFL receiver. 
They didn't even bring back Justin Watson yet. Yeah, but that is shocking, by the way. Now, yeah, no, that and Michael Burton going to the Broncos are just could have you could have <laughs> pushed me over with a with a a, a light breeze. I think Rocks. I think I think Veach knew that if he brought Justin Watson back, that he'd get like seventy percent of the snaps again. He's yeah. like, okay, I can't do this. Andy clearly loves this guy too much. Can't bring him back. Here's the element of it that you you haven't explicitly mentioned that I'm wondering about, Nate. If you want to try to either assuage my concerns or just go ahead and, and add gasoline to them, I'm not. I don't like the idea of just being in. Odell Beckham or bust mode, despite the fact that I've always liked Odell. I think he would be fun if he's healthy and some of the clips of him running routes is nice. But like Seth said, he hasn't played. The thing that I hate is that it feels like we are rapidly approaching the Chiefs running out of realistic options where Odell might be the only guy on the open market right now who I feel like would be a sizable improvement. Um, Robert Woods hasn't signed anywhere yet, right? I know it's a, that one's probably even more of a reclamation project, but like that's that's who else you're talking about, or it's trying to negotiate with the Cardinals, and then you talk about multi-year deal to an older receiver. I don't know if that really fits the Chiefs' mo. So what my my concern at this point is there aren't. It doesn't feel like the Chiefs have a lot of fallback options. Well, I can present a couple, uh, dear sir. Yes, they have wanted to acquire Odell Beckham Jr. since the start, really, of last season. Um, you know, obviously, there was an element, and I've reported this, even when they acquired Kadarius Tony, they were still wanting to be a suitor um, to get the final rose if he was going to come back in November, December for Odell Beckham Jr. Um, I felt Odell made the right decision to just sit out the year, let his body get more time to rest, in heel, um, they're there again. You know, they are trying their best to be realistic, um, but to, you know, do a decent job of sending him enough overtures to understand that they do value what he can bring in terms of high, uh, high level play from a talent standpoint that is likely not available, uh, in free agency otherwise. So, with the Cowboys making their move, doesn't necessarily say that they're out of the mix, but it does give them a bit of mitigation. Um, The Chiefs, I assume, although I cannot report it exactly, that they've probably sniffed around the DeAndre Hopkins situation. Um... Everything sort of, I think, can be tied to do the Cardinals value a second-round pick? Do the Chiefs feel like that second-round pick is more valuable based on the contract that comes with it with the player? Obviously, four years, reasonably controlled cost, not someone who may already be past their prime, despite having, obviously, world-class talent to some degree in Hopkins. Um, Two alternatives that I have not named yet. Are you ready? I am super ready. I'm very ready. Okay. Uh, Mr. DJ 
Shark Jr. Do, 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 DJ Shark. Do, 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 no. DJ Shark. No. I am drawing a line in the sand. Do you have another one that can turn into a fun kid's song? And then the second one. And you should acknowledge it. I should acknowledge it. Maybe he should acknowledge it. McCole Hardman. Yeah. Nicole Hardman. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so, yet again, ladies and gentlemen, before we move on, how long are you willing to wait on the Odell Beckham sweepstakes with DeAndre Hopkins? Hey, just give us a call if you do something between now and then. Situation. Seth, was your no, just for the clarity of the, our dear listeners, was your no about my singing or about DJ Shark? That was the baby shark. shark thing. That's what I thought. Okay. I just don't no, no and I I no DJ DJ Shark? Yes. Totally. Gosh. Well now I'm not on board with it. Um <laughs> uh, no, I, I'd be on board with that. He's he's a competent receiver. He's he can stretch the field. Um, I think he's got better ball skills than MVS does. That's a little bit of a differentiating factor. Although I think they have a little more in common um, than they have apart. But, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, then it's not a fit. It's like, well, if you don't have a proven competent NFL receiver, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean to Tony or Sky Moore, but they were not, you know, major contributors to the offense for most of last season. And so to count on that seems foolish. Um, McCall Hardman, it doesn't look like he's got the market that he wanted. That's really a bummer. The injury couldn't have come at a worse time for him. Nobody, I, I will be clear here. The Carolina Panthers shouldn't offer him a multi-year deal. No one should offer him a multi-year deal. The injury concerns are too apparent and... Um, I don't think it would be sound judgment on NFL teams. As sad as that is for McColl's situation, right? And that's it specifically would, it would, about this injury, right? Because yes. it's not like he's been. I mean, you mentioned this on on Sunday Sound Off last night, I think, right? Um, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they, hey, can he pass a physical right now? I mean, I, we don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't. I don't either. Um, and sometimes. It's like, hey, you weren't at the top of the list at your position. Um, There's also a little bit of a squeeze from what last year's market pretty much set for this year's market. Of course, uh, there might be healthier, younger, just as dynamic prospects in the draft. So you get kind of squeezed there. Then you were injured for half the season valiantly came back, admirably came back. Mm-hmm. Has to be commended that you came back for the AFC Championship game, but you couldn't you couldn't finish it. You gave it everything you had. And then your coach said, everybody look at the camera for the next 30 seconds. He did an amazing job getting back, giving us something that we absolutely needed, which was a first down uh, reception. But also, like, we shutting him down. I can't. For the sake of his financial future, I cannot play him in the Super Bowl, the biggest game in the sport. So with all of that context provided, I just don't know how anybody could be sure, um, at least right now. Maybe things change in a few weeks, a few months, post-draft necessarily. Uh, 
depending on what some of the cap space situation is, because, you know, obviously there are June first cuts that can be part of the equation for maybe another team. Um, but with all that considered, it, it's not. It, it, I can't advise an NFL team giving him a multi-year deal with the money not being what some of these other receivers have gotten. Like I can't. It, it which leads you to say, which leads you to advise maybe the player like Pacol. You know the system. You've played well in it before. Um, if you double what you did last year with more games. Uh, obviously, you'd have more time to uh, get your body, you know, ready for the season. Um, you won't be learning a whole new offense. You won't be learning a new coaching staff, teammates, moving to a new city, the whole gamut. Like, you know, maybe we try this again uh, next year on a one-year prove-it deal. But at least it's with a quarterback you know, a coach you know, a system that still fits you and your skill set to some degree. Uh, but, yeah, that that – you know, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but I just I just don't really see why it, why a team would be incentivized at this point to offer him a multi year deal. Well, in mysterious injuries that take a long time to heal and are aggravated are scary, and that's just there's not a whole lot. I mean, I don't know. It's a bummer for him. It genuinely is because he he's been more important to the offense than I think. Uh, people realize, but it, it's just tough. Um, I would be more the, the DJ shark decision. I'm curious what he's asking for. It doesn't feel like it, this is where it doesn't feel like they'd have to break the bank to bring in a competent NFL receiver and make me feel a little better about the group. It's like, they're not even thinking about me right now. <laughs> and, and so it, it, that's what I think has everyone like assuming that there's some, you know, Hopkins trade in the works or, you know, people are getting so desperate that like now I see people like just a few. And this is not, not, not me saying I think there's anything. <laughs> but like people are like talking like, like Brandon Ayuk, like, you know, he's getting later in his contract. It's like, who says he's available? Like, you can't just name really good receivers. You know what I mean? Like, well, you know, who else is good is Justin Jefferson. Like, yes, he's a really good receiver. Um. It's not up for trade, though. And that I feel like people are getting so desperate based on, like, the room looks empty, man. Like, and I, again, I hope Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore make me look like a complete moron. And they both have the talent to do it. But still, you got to, like, worry about the floor. You know what I mean? Like, what I, what I tell people is that Patrick Mahomes is the ceiling for this offense. He, he's the one who dictates... Well, basically that it has no ceiling, right? The floor, I think that is where you get the supporting staff, like the their supporting cast. That's where you get the people who, you know, like just, just being able to pass protect, having a decent run game, having good weapons. That stuff is the floor of the offense in terms of consistency and matchups. And when you're a Super Bowl contender, you're not just worried about whether or not the stats look good at the end of the year, because they will with Mahomes. With this group, even if they don't, you know, even if they don't overperform, they'll still look good. It's about what you do in those individual matchups as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
I, I think it does, and uh, hopefully by the time that this show is hitting podcast feeds, not hopefully, I just assume, uh, that everyone listening will know what the Chiefs were waiting for because it will be uh, officially news. That's that's all of our concern and speculation on the receiver front. I'm going to go ahead and follow up on my Juan Thornhill tease in case uh, anyone hasn't seen this, and then we can talk about the other position groups and the guys the Chiefs have brought in, mostly on the, uh, the defensive side at this point. Juan Thornhill signed a three-year, $21 million contract with the Cleveland Browns, $14 million guaranteed. So he's under contract as a player for the Browns through 2025 when he'll be 30 years old. Through 2025. His largest cap hit is in 2026. (laughs) That's so funny. He has a $2.2 million cap hit this year and then a little bit uh, about 3.8 the next year. And then 5.7 in 2025, and then over nine million dollars, three million, two million, and about one million the next four years after that. He will be carrying not this isn't it won't be cash that way, um, but he will be carrying dead cap hits against the Browns until he's 34 years old in 2029, um, and that's if he plays out the entire life of the deal. So uh, um, Thornhill got paid, not and- a crazy amount of money. I would have. Yeah, 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 no, it, it, I mean, it's, it's a, it's those, a, those numbers are because of the Browns, not because of Thornhill. Yeah, yeah, I was just about to get to this. This is, this is a great thing for Juan Thornhill and his family. Um, you cannot find this tweet, but he pretty much acknowledged that he didn't totally know the entire structure of the deal, which is fine, but also, kind of tells you what happens if you give a large guaranteed contract we gotta move everything around this thing and yeah it's hard it's 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 really hard when a contract is fully guaranteed well at least we know the browns have been good so far and probably will continue (laughs) to be good um with that quarterback on that deal so um, let's talk about the guys the Chiefs have brought in since the last show. The only real signing, if memory serves, last uh, last episode of the show was Juwan Taylor, who, um, if you want to read a little bit about his uh, opening presser and everything, Nate's got a story with with Taylor and Charles Amina, who both spoke the same day. And you can go read about that up on the, uh, the Athletic, plus the rest of Seth's film review. I don't know if it was done when we did the podcast, but um, that's up on the Chief of the North newsletter, mnchiefsfan.substack.com. But since we talked about him some, I do want to skip kind of to a minute where both of you have written about him. Uh, Seth's got a full film review. Nate's got a story and a half, at least, I think, um, on a and what he will bring to the Chiefs here. I think the signing is fascinating. Um, Nate, why don't you tell us first where where you think he fits in and, and why the Chiefs targeted him as uh, not, I guess, their, their second splash of a uh, free agency? Yeah, this was uh, a bit of a... Surprised to some degree. You knew that pass rusher was something they needed to address, but I get the sense that um, they are selling pretty high on his upside, uh, his ability to be a starter, to be durable, alongside the most durable player <laughs> outside of Chris Jones and George <laughs> Karloftis. <laughs> and so, look, they may still uh, you know, use one of their top draft picks on a defensive end because, obviously, the, the more you have, uh, the better your pass rush might be. Obviously, you can uh, clearly look back to what the Philadelphia Eagles did. Um, the Chiefs wanted to get younger at the position, so it made a lot of sense, even though you had to cut Frank Clark for this type of move. Um, but yeah, I get the sense that 
they really feel like this player has a lot of juice. Um, he could be more polished in his technique, but he offers obviously interior sort of pass rushing on third down. And I'm going to leave that mostly to Seth to, to examine and, and explain to everybody here. But um, this is someone who is pretty intelligent and knows that they're hitting their stride for a championship contending team. Um, and if it hits, you'll look at the top pass rushers in 2024 and realize you got a pretty affordable deal comparative to, you know, trying to sign Von Miller in essence. Um, you know, obviously he's a high caliber player, but the thought process here is getting better production than what Frank Clark gave you in the regular season last year. Um, but not top of the line in terms of, man, he's making, you know, $20 million a year. Um, so if they, so they're trying to, they're trying to thread this correctly. Um, and so it'll be fascinating to see how it works out. You know, when, when you recap how he looks as a first time starter in the full 2023 season. Two years, sixteen million can be worth up to twenty million. Seth, walk us through a minute. <laughs> Was that you making sure that I pronounce his name correctly? No, I just get my little Dr. Seuss on. Yes, yes. Well, I, you know, in a very specific context, I we, we've he, the thing with him, Dr. Seuss, uh, Dr. Seuss or Minahue. Um, let's, let's forget the thing I said about me getting my Dr. Seuss on and let's just talk about this pass rusher named right. Charles. Let's talk about Chuck. Well, Chuck he, yo. he, you know, the thing with him is that he could not, would not from the edge. <laughs> but he, <laughs> um, so no, I, so I knew nothing about a Minihue going into his film review, which are some of my favorite ones. And so I, I tried to go out of my way. I accidentally saw a couple of tweets before I really got into the film from people I respect that were like, Oh man, you know, like, like people that were like, Oh yeah, this is, this is a really good one. This is a, and I, I was like, Oh, that's gonna, I didn't want that to affect me, but it did. Cause you know, that's how it goes. Um, here's, here's what I'll start with. When I am charting pass rushers, you know, I do um, win percentage, loss percentage, um, neutral snaps, pressures, hits, sacks. So I charted five games by a Minihue in 2022. A couple different things. So when you are talking about offensive linemen, their loss percentage is what's most important because a win doesn't guarantee a successful play. A loss can blow up a play, right? It's it's so much more important to just hold your own as a pass blocker. Mm -hmm. As a pass rusher, it's flipped. If you lose eight snaps in a row as a pass rusher and then you win three snaps in a row, those wins matter way more than those losses. Because even if you lose your matchup as a pass rusher, there's still a lot of other stuff that's got to go right. There's a lot of other places in the defense that can win. But if you win and you blow up that play, it, it, it just affects everything about the play, right? So it's you just flip it on its head. The best pass rushers, and I've talked about this before with Chris Jones in why you need more than one guy. The best pass rushers win 25% of the time, maybe a little more from the edge, especially. Um, Jones wins like 30% of the time because he's a, he's a mutant. 
Like, but you can't, you can't hold guys to that, right? That that's, he, he's just in that type of air. The Chiefs pass rushers last year, most of them that they had, like, you know, Karloftis, Clark, Dunlap, um, Saunders, they're, they're kind of complimentary guys who were okay. You know, they, they weren't, you know, those guys were winning anywhere between like 12 to 16% of the time. And the 16 was kind of high end. Amenehu in the five games I charted won 20% of his snaps. And in five games, he had 12 pressures, six hits. And those are two separate things now. I either charted as a hit or a pressure, okay? And two sacks in five games. So that's 20 times he affected the quarterback in five games. Let me tell you, that dog will hunt. That's, those are good numbers. Those aren't just like, you know, well, you're kind of above average. You can make it work as part of a complimentary pass rush. That's kind of like dude numbers. Mm. And that's like, I'm curious what they're thinking bringing him in because he is a young player. He's grown every year. He's been in the league. Um, But those are, I can be your second best pass rusher type of numbers. And he has one go-to pass rush move. It with a, a double-handed swipe. Some people call it a scissor swipe um, that works really well from the interior. And you can see him working on it from the edge. Hey, like, hey Seth, hey, Seth who, who are you going to be lining up next to? You know, it's hard to say, but I think there's a chance he might be lining up next to Chris Jones. Okay, okay. Just, wanna, just, just, want, <laughs> just want the listeners to know. And what that means for him is a ton of one-on-one matchups. Um, Which was a rallying cry for so much of last season, right? Yeah, that's why the complimentary pass rush mattered so much. And we saw it in the second half of the season. The pass rush got a lot better as the season went along. Saunders kind of turned it up a little bit. You saw Dunlap and Clark play pretty decently. You Guys needed to win some of their one-on-one matchups. Karloftis started to win a little more as the season went along. Here's the thing with Amenehu. He is a better pass rusher significantly from the interior. He's got really good length. His arms are like 20 feet. I don't remember how long they are. Um, but he, fantastic, it, yeah, yeah it, it's ridiculous. He's built with good power. He has a crazy motor. Um, and that's nice adding him to a, to the line with guys like Dana and Karloftis who are big time motor guys. That's a big deal. Um, does not have bend, does not bend around the edge. That is not his thing. Yeah. This is one thing I want to just like, I, to just poke out a little bit because it was the one not the one thing, but it was the thing out of your review that actually like caught me the most by surprise. And I think it's just because if you saw Charles Minnie standing at training camp with his, you know, hands on his hips, you would say that is a defensive end because that's just like how he's built. But you, you finding pretty convincingly, maybe specifically because of that, that scissor swipe move or whatever you want to call it, that the, the, the bulk of his best production was from the interior, right? So again, like, what yep. we, I just, I wanted to like just put a magnifying glass over that because I also would like Nate to tell me what he thinks Steve Spagnuolo is going to do with him and and how you're going to make that work in terms of what he does the best versus how the Chiefs need to use him even as things stand now. Absolutely, he is he is he is not as good a pass rusher from the outside, and it's not very close from the outside. He falls into that same category of where you would put some of the guys last year in terms of, you know, he can crush the pocket a little cause he's very strong, good length. And you know, he can, he can add to the complimentary rush because of his motor. He also isn't affected a ton by chips. Like when running backs hit him, it's like, he takes it personal. Like he's like, Oh, I'm going to run twice. It's like, well, you know, when, like when people tackle Isaiah Pacheco, 
It's just like, <laughs> like that's that's how he plays. He, you know what? That's a really good analogy. He rushes the passer like Isaiah Pacheco runs. I'm in. And no, no and it's awesome. It's so much fun to watch. Say no more. Yeah, yeah, say no more. But he's not refined from the edge and against good tackles or tackles with a little bit of strength or like, or Joe Tooney, who just, he did not have a lot of luck against, against Joe. Joe was like, well, see, here's the thing, youngster. I know exactly where to put my hands every single snap and we're just going to stand here and go nowhere. Because I'm a robot. Because I'm a robot. <laughs> and and that was a really adorable swipe. And all I did is just drop my hands for a second and then just replace them as soon as your hands were gone. And it was hilarious. Because you saw like a man whose brain like shut down for a second. Like, what the? Wait, why did he do that? And it was great. But anyway. That was actually said. You, it was what what it's what it looked like on film. In reality, the the shocking thing was the 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 hollow tin sound it made when he first made contact <laughs> yeah, with Tooney. It's like, wait a second, what are, what are you? And then it was short circuiting. Yeah, no, it freaked him out. But so he's he's got he's got a base move. He also can do a little bit with bull rushes and long arms just from his physical gifts with his strengths. And that's the big thing when you have a certain gift that you can build a pass rush plan around. That's step one to having a higher ceiling. And he's already a good pass rusher, but he's not as good from the edge. He is functional though. And that's a difference between him and Mike Dana, who I like as a player. I called him the second best pass rusher on the Chiefs last year. And I think he was. Um, But Dana is barely functional as an edge rusher. Whereas you put him in the interior, he's pretty good. And that's one question I have about this move is, who do you move to the edge? Because there's only so many interior spots, right? Yep, yep. And that's going to be interesting because Dana has grown as a player, but he's actually not, I wouldn't even say quite as athletic as a Menahue. At least he doesn't uh, close as quickly. And both of them are better off on the interior. And so I'm curious how they're going to make that work. That would be like the one fly in the ointment. But I genuinely, even more so, and you guys know I like the Juwan Taylor signing. This to me was a potential... We might be talking about this midseason as like, wow, this was like a game changer because I, he looks to me on film, at least with San Francisco, and to be fair, everyone there is playing with their hair on fire. But he looks like he would have been easily the second best pass rusher in Kansas City last year and, and a genuine second guy. So it's just going to be trying to figure out, you know, can Joe Colon help him continue to develop from the edge to where it can be a little bit better um, because he really has everything else that you'd be looking for in a Steve Spagnuolo defense, including versatility. And now they can line up four guys. I'm assuming their their first choice for four rushing the passer is going to be Amenahu, Dana, Jones, Karloftis. You know what? That's a group I like. That's a group I like a lot. What do you think, Nate? It all makes sense to me, and it is Joe Cullen's responsibility to get him to be, again, a more polished pass rusher from the edge um it'll be fascinating to see how he holds up on first down you know he talked about that in his introductory press conference that hey i want to prove that i can um be a complete you know edge player you know stopping the run on first down if necessary and then obviously um the fun part i think for the chiefs is can they get to more third downs where it gets even more chaotic than usual and what I mean by that is, obviously, a minute could be inside, Dana can be outside, or it could be another player, you know, uh, specifically. Obviously, they could move Chris, depending upon certain matchups, yep. 
from inside to outside. Um, you know, and obviously it'll be fascinating to see like what interior defensive linemen they potentially draft. Um, because it looks like this is a particularly deep interior lineman draft, um, than in the past couple seasons. Um, and if you have that to deal with as an offensive line and as a quarterback and a play caller, and then you put on top of that some blitzes that are going to, you know, as Seth likes to say, sort of bend the rules or break the rules. And then also you have potentially Willie Gay on the field or Drew Tranquil on the field to mm-hmm. be a blitzer. Um, now you have a five-man, I won't say bare front look, but a five-man to perhaps a six-man blitz if you want to incorporate a safety or the nickel where um, from third down to third down, it's going to be really interesting to see how opposing offenses try to anticipate what the Chiefs can do defensively because they're younger. And if a mini Hugh becomes the second best pass rusher, with a complimentary style of a Mike Dana and a George Karloftis, because I think George Karloftis can obviously continue to rise as well, um, then it makes third downs less fun for the opposing offense. Imagine third and 12, and just let's go outside, inside. You've got uh, Chris Jones, Charles Minahue, Mike Dana, and George Karloftis. Plus, then, yeah, you added whatever whatever extra fifth guy Spags like to get involved. That sounds like hell. Like that just seems deeply unfun for yeah. an offensive line, and very fun for Chiefs fans. That's that's such a good way of framing it within the context of the entire defensive game plan. Um, Amenahue is a better pass rusher than at least he was last year, right? This is all tape from last year. He was a better pass rusher last year than Frank Clark. He was a better pass rusher last year than Carlos Dunlap. Better pass rusher last year than than Colin Saunders. And he's also a terrific fit for the stunts they run. He, you can line him up literally anywhere other than to not run, line him up in the interior on obvious rundowns because he weighs 280. And <laughs> there were a couple times he got just flattened, which that's what you expect, right? You know, you're, you're not signing these guys to take on a double team. Nope. But he fits so well within the framework of what they're trying to do. The only question that I have left with defensive line, they still need another body there. Because you did lose all three of those guys that I just mentioned. That's a lot of snaps. And Charles Amenahu can't take all of them. But he could soak up a lot of the snaps for two of them. Like if you say Dunlap and Saunders, he could soak up both of their snaps and still be an upgrade. Let's talk about the other name that uh, Nate just mentioned, because I'm curious where his snaps are going to come from. As the uh, the Chiefs on Friday Add former Chargers linebacker Drew Tranquil. Uh, he's 27. He's now the highest paid linebacker on the Chiefs this year. Um, the uh, the the deal, Nate, you had it being three million before incentives could get up to five. Um, but a, I mean, uh, Seth, as you wrote about in the newsletter, if you would have gone through a list of places, uh, positions where the Chiefs might have spent a nice little chunk of change this offseason. Linebacker would have been really, really close to the bottom of, of yes. both of our lists, I think. So um, same same deal here. Nate, why why this move? And then Seth's already got a film review up on the uh, the newsletter right now. You can go check out. I want to know why. Uh, well, what, what you saw last year, Seth. But first, Nate, what? What? what why? <laughs> um, it became, I guess, more affordable than maybe the Chiefs anticipated. It's clear that Drew... Uh, like the idea of being with the Chiefs. 
Um, obviously, you know, playing for the Chargers, being a part of the AFC West his entire career. You'd like to win um, it once. Thank you. Um, my question <laughs> to you guys is, did the Chiefs really have a third linebacker last year? Because I would say the answer was no. Um, but I'm I'm I can be swayed to be uh or I could obviously take on the argument. Now you can say, well, Nate, they drafted Leo Chanel, and yes, and he played awesome in the postseason, like way better than I anticipated. But for most of the regular season, they were cobbling together the third linebacker. Obviously, Willie Gay missed four games last season with the suspension. They didn't even tender an offer to Darius Harris, which I was very surprised by, to be honest. Is Drew Tranquil better than Darius Harris? Sure. I'm different, too, obviously. Yes, very different. And that's why he's on the team now. Um, They felt they upgraded at a position that potentially did you have to upgrade, but it sure is nice. And I think that's where they pretty much came to. Um, Now, it's fascinating that you say, Josh, that he is technically making the most money next year, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? Right? Which means he a starter, right? 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 I just... It seems weird to me to add a guy... Here's what I'm afraid is going to happen. And if this is where we get to the film, it's already review. happened. This has already happened in the future. We're just we've traveled back in time. Go so ahead. this is the thing you tweeted about. I, I want to be happening. yeah. I want to be careful how I frame this because people get really mad at me about this. But on Twitter, right, right, <laughs> <laughs> that can't be right. Um, uh, Willie Gay Jr. last year was the best cover linebacker on the team by a fairly wide margin. And when I wrote about the linebackers playing as well as they did in the Super Bowl. Um, Nick Bolton had a really important coverage snap late in the game where it kind of played to his strengths, where it was, it was route recognition, wasn't asking him to cover a ton of ground. Um, you know, the, the, the things that he does well. Uh, he tackles extremely well, made a great stop. Uh, but on that play, Willie Gay Jr. was covering Devonta Smith in space. Like, they are not the same in terms of athletic profile, right? Willie Gay Jr. is more athletic than a lot of safeties. He's kind of a freak, but he also has a tendency to, well, you know, take the cheese. They love to say um, <laughs> he has a tendency to get faked out. You know, you get some play action stuff, might get a little distracted by some of the route combinations coming his way, get sucked up field a little bit too much or downfield a little bit too much. And, you know, a, a receiver comes open into the spot that he vacated. Drew Tranquil isn't the athlete that Willie Gay Jr. is. But he is much better in terms of change of direction and top speed than Nick Bolton. And he's got better feet. He doesn't take the cheese. He's a genuinely good coverage linebacker. And if you go back and watch, it's one of the reasons I reviewed these. is one of the games I reviewed, the, the Chiefs-Chargers matchups. He's part of the reason they struggled at times to move the ball. Because he does a good job in coverage. Um... He, he can he can help shut down the middle of the field. The middle of the field was a place where they really struggled last year in time in terms of defending against the pass. And so here's my fear. Nick Bolton played 97% of the snaps last year. They treated him like the dime linebacker. I get why. I get some of the strengths that he brings, but he's not a great coverage guy. Now they've got a guy who's a really good coverage guy. You get a 
you going to take your your dude, like your one of your defensive captain types off the field? He'd probably be better on those passing downs. And I'm just curious what this looks like because it, it, it seems weird to me that a guy like him didn't have a starting opportunity somewhere. But maybe he didn't. It's been a weird linebacker market. Like Bobby Wagner, I think, is still in the market. Correct. So, you know, and Levante David didn't maybe see the market he thought he would. And so he went back and signed back with the Bucks. And he's an incredible linebacker. So I, there's a lot of possibilities there. But the big thing for me is he does something very well that the Chiefs at times struggled with last year. And my hope is that they're willing to deviate from the pre-planned stuff in terms of how they line up and who they play to take advantage of that skill set because it's there. Yeah, Nick Bolton's playing 98% of the snaps again next year, right, Nate? Dog. Um, <laughs> one of the things that you have to keep track of is depth matters. Regardless of wh- however this shakes out, they appear to have better depth at what was already considered a strength um, on their roster from the linebacker position. Um, Nick Bolton has been one of the most reliable, dependable players over the last two seasons. It's also a violent sport, and those tackles might add up at some point. Um, and, you know, they got through the middle of the season without Willie Gay, um, and they sort of managed his snaps as the season sort of progressed. But, yeah, um, them not offering, uh, you know, them not really choosing to retain, I guess it's probably the best way, Darius Harris was a bit of a surprise. Um, but if you feel like you can upgrade at that position and this player, um, again, is really welcoming the idea of playing for your team, regardless of how the snaps shake out, um, it, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense for um, it makes a lot of sense for both sides. And I think for Drew, you could say that, hey, I don't know, you know, it's not my responsibility, but I don't know every linebacker that will be available in free agency next year. But maybe there won't be the likes of Bobby Wagner, of uh, some of the guys that have gotten you know big contracts, and maybe you get a um, a more advantageous. Uh, market for yourself because he's only been a starter this past season with the chargers and look if you have similar production and even better production and you're playing in more primetime games if you're playing in you know bigger postseason games then maybe that raises your reputation and stock um in next year's free agency class so you can see both sides of it um but yeah uh nick bolton strong side linebacker just just put it in pin Seth, if you were the defensive coordinator, what would that split look like amongst the linebackers? I'm joking, by the way, guys. I have no idea Sorry. if they're going to put Nick Bolton as the strong side linebacker. I know the back of his helmet's going to have a green sticker on it. That's literally the only thing I feel comfortable about. Um, I, that was awesome. Um, if, if, if I were the Chiefs, and this is where it probably gets too complicated, they want to be cautious with this. If it were me, I would have... Oh, man, I'm... People are going to whatever. But based on what I see on film, if I were the Chiefs, I would have um, Gay as the Sam in base sets, Bolton as the Mike, and Tranquil as the Will. Um, because, because, and Tranquil isn't a perfect fit for Will, but he can't play Sam. So 
And, and there, there's just some responsibility to alienations. However, they're they're not in base that much. They're in base like 20% of the time. And Leo Correct. Chanel is a really good Sam. So I don't know. Yep. Although, he, you know, he can't really cover tight ends. So that's a problem. But we're not asking him to cover tight ends, Seth. Yep, they're asking him to be Reggie Ragland out there. And he can be Reggie Ragland with a lot more closing <laughs> speed. So that that's a bit problematic. But the other thing they could do is just run out the guys they ran out last year in their base sets. And then on nickel sets... Have it be Willie Gay and Drew Tranquil. And then in dime sets, have it be Drew Tranquil. That's what I would do based on the tape. That said, there is, there is, let me tell you again, I'm not coming from a place of knowledge here, but if Spags cut down Nick Bolton snaps next year, I would be shocked. (laughs) I mean, I mean, floored. It would be just this side of, I literally can't think of another player that would shock me. Like it, it would be it would be like if they benched Creed Humphrey. You know what I mean? Like on the just office. saw that Nick Allegretti got like two and a half million fully guaranteed. Good for him, man. Yeah, good for um, him. Get that bag, around. Man. But it would yeah, it would literally be you know, we're gonna go ahead and start Grady at center. Yeah. And that's uh, where I <laughs> uh I just want to remind people that Chris Jones played all the snaps. And Nick Bolton played more snaps than he did. Yes, Nick Bolton was on the field constantly, and 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 Willie Gay Jr. inexplicably got kind of benched for a little bit in favor of Darius Harris for a little while last year. For a guy they Which, didn't want to keep. Yeah, and so I honestly, my first thought genuinely was, and this we even talked about this a little bit on Twitter. It was like, are they going to trade Willie? Which I wouldn't. I really like him, but. That's where it's just like, I don't see the fit, even though Drew Tranquil is a good player. And so that's where it just seems a bit off because I know what I would do. And that's, again, with my limited scope of knowledge, Spagnolo knows more about football than I, a million of me will ever know. You'd trade Nick Bolton for DeAndre Hopkins straight up. I get it. Me too, man. <laughs> welcome welcome to the club. Like if the Cardinals called and offered that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in terms of the cap, <laughs> no, Will, Willie Gay doesn't, I mean... No, you're no, no. I'm I'm gonna advise you not mention him in trade speculations. No, I, I, don't. I would advise the Chiefs play him. I mean, we're all giving out advice. <laughs> him, him and Nick Bolton are basically making the same amount of money. Um, this season, Yo, they the have three guys on rookie contracts. That's just, yes, yes, just sort yeah. of odd. C- continue to use that as as the asset that it mm-hmm. is. Yeah, I, I just is this the last year of Willie's deal though. Yes, it is right. Okay. Yes. Right, and he's in a contract year, and and again, this is a good problem to have. You have good players with varying skill sets trying to figure out how to put them in the best position to succeed. I, That's- a parent linebacker hater, think this deal is totally chill with me. A year and three million for a guy who like can do a lot of the things that I think all three of us really value from a linebacker in the modern yeah. NFL. It makes a lot of sense if you're if you hadn't just put two seconds and a fourth into your linebacker position over the last three drafts. Hey, hey, Seth, what if you want to play base 30% this year because yeah, you have yeah, that's fair. better linebackers? I, I mean, it could go a number of ways, which is why it's super-duper interesting that um, on a Friday, they were like, you ready, Drew? And Drew was like, sign me up. Yeah. Um, even, though, even though, hey, it's fourth and three. Is he totally on the field? Don't know. But Drew Drew wants to to play for a winner. Yep. Um, and he wants to he wants to show that, you know, maybe his skill set is um 
maybe his skill set does work with these guys, even though you're not sure which two yeah. of the three might be on the field all the time. Right. Or, the- or hey, you know, does does Drew want to be the dime for Nick? Um, but again, that that that's a preference. That that it really comes down to coaching preferences at this point. Right. And one thing I would note is they used a lot of three safety sets at times last year, and they have throughout Spag's time. One option that you have here, and Tranquil is, in my opinion, good enough in coverage to get away with this. If you want to play him as the, you know, the 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 hybrid guy, you know, that box safety type, mm-hmm. Tranquil's got the he's got just enough athleticism and smarts and coverage to do it, and I think do it pretty well. So it's a way that you could go lighter on defense without technically going that much lighter. So that's it's interesting. It gives them more tools in the toolbox, and I'm always in favor of that. I just. I personally have a fear that he might end up a little underutilized, but we'll see. Spags has earned the benefit of a doubt. Also, it's two two seconds and a third for the linebackers. I couldn't remember if Chanel was a late. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a third. Two two seconds and a third. And yeah, I I think the idea of staying in base a little more and leaving a leaving a linebacker there to do some of that hybrid stuff, if Tranquil is built for that, could be really interesting. I was also just totally honest, very surprised by that signing. Wait a second. The same that Drew Tranquil, he's a linebacker for the Chargers. Yeah, I remember him. What? Why? Um, and then you mentioned three safety sets real quick here. The uh, the last edition, we haven't talked about all the, the guys leaving, but, we, you know, have more or less covered, I think, the, the holes they've left. Uh, but the Chiefs also on Friday added Mike Edwards, Tampa Bay Buccaneers safety, to a one-year deal. Um, third safety assurance right now, right? I saw some Bucks people saying that he he had played more last year, but probably had his worst year as a pro to this point. Um, I that is completely secondhand knowledge. I I don't I don't have anything extra on Mike Edwards, but it it feels like Dion Bush a year later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, <laughs> um, you know, uh, we'll we'll see, um, what they want to do with the with the three safety or who that sort of hybrid defender is on clear passing downs. But yeah, um, you know, uh, three, three, I, I, three million for one year and up to five with incentives again, just the, which is the exact same deal line as the tranquil deal. That is surprising. I just I missed that, I guess. I, yeah. And, and look, I don't, did Dion Bush, um, you know, I don't think Dion Bush did anything wrong last year. I just wonder, um, younger player, yep, see older. it get, see, yeah, see a little bit more of an upside, you know. Um, again, he's played for a winning team before, um, he should, he should fit in, yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because people I respect that cover the Bucks seem to like him and kind of said, you know, he's more of a third safety type. Um, maybe not necessarily a guy that you're, you're gonna play in the box a ton. Um, but Brian Cook can play good in the news, box. yeah, good news about Brian Cook. Yeah, yeah, who likes to hit people as though he's angry with them, which is fun. <laughs> um, so I, I thought that was a good signing. Um, and you see that that depth stuff, that filling out the roster stuff, that matters because your third safety sees plenty of snaps. Maybe your fourth linebacker ends up seeing plenty of snaps or third mm-hmm. linebacker, whatever he is. And it does, it, it checks off boxes of, of needs because the goal is to go in the draft without like dire glaring needs. And really, with what they've done, you know, defensive lineman, offensive tackle, uh, safety, and then apparently a linebacker, <laughs> like, 
they, they, they've addressed some of the bigger need areas that they had, and, and I'm happy with it. I also think low-key um, with, I mean, at least the defensive line signing and the tackle signing, I think they might have upgraded from two of their bigger losses. And that's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have your eyes over on TweetDeck right now, but I just saw this tweet from Charles Aminahue. At DeAndre Hopkins, come on, fam, we waiting on you. Hashtag Chiefs Kingdom. And when I say my heart stopped for a brief moment in time, we're at the hour-long mark of this show. Yep. We're done. This show is over. We got to get it out now because I saw a mini Hugh Hopkins. Chiefs, actually, it's a Chiefs King uh, Kingdom. That typo is the only thing right now keeping that magic spell from working. So we got to get the show wrapped up before uh, the uh, summoning circle is complete. We covered a bunch of stuff. We'll have the entire offseason to get more into the weeds as things go on. But Nate already has stories up right now on Juwan Taylor and Charles Minohue's uh, pressers, plus what the Chiefs are doing, adding Drew Tranquil. And then Seth in the Chief of the North newsletter has film reviews on Tranquil, Minohue, and Juwan Taylor. Those are all ready for you right now. You can follow all of us on Twitter at by Nate Taylor at Real MN Chiefs Fan. I'm at JB Briscoe. Seth, you get a shot at a final word. And Nate, get us out of here before the Chiefs do something crazy. Just remember, Charles and Minnie, rushes the passer like Isaiah Pacheco runs. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, guys talk. So, look, we'll, we'll see. But, look, I, I, it's two ways to play this. You can play it one way or you can play the other way. How long are you willing to wait? And, hey, what y'all trying to do with this second round pick? <laughs>